0: If you're going to write a nonfiction book, a business book, I would recommend start with a framework, and a framework is a series of steps that someone has to go from A to B, so a problem and a solution. So you have to take the reader in a journey, the current state to a desired state.
1: You're listening to Content Logistics, a podcast for B2B marketers looking to build a content engine that drives revenue. In each episode, Camille Trent interviews the marketers behind the best content marketing flywheels and uncovers the tactical aspects of content production from first draft to first customer. Welcome to another episode of Content Logistics. I'm your host, Camille Trent, and this episode is brought to you by my good friends, Tristan and Justin over at Motion. If you don't know by now, they are a full-stack podcasting agency. They're responsible for the production of this show. So if you like this show, you want a show similar to this, or you want a show, it's completely different for that. I'm not offended. They're the guys to talk to. Today, our guest is a good friend, author, thought leadership expert, Diego Pineda. He is the content community manager over at Dooley. I wanted to bring him on to walk through the logistics of writing your first business book. Hey Diego, good to see you again. Good to see you too. So for anyone who doesn't know that's listening, Diego and I work together at, at Dually. So former coworkers and current friends, as I like to say, we did a lot of fun stuff on, on the content end. But uh, one of Diego's superpowers and part of the reason that he came onto the team was to level up our thought leadership. And so I wanted to bring him on to not only talk about thought leadership, but talk about um, how do you Create a book specifically, a book on thought leadership and why might that be interesting for a SaaS company? So Diego, if you want to give a little introduction about you, but also about, you know, your background in, you know, the first book that you started, you know, you've written some nonfiction books and you've written fiction books and you're at about 15, I think now. So talk about just how you got into that and some of the frameworks that you started putting, putting behind it when you brought us into the business world.
0: Yeah, I'd love to do that. So I've been writing books for a long time. I guess I started my first novel I wrote when I was in high school. So I wrote a few books when I started working professionally. When I was a science writer at the University of Texas, I co-authored a book with a medical doctor on infectious diseases and vaccine. Then I wrote a book on medical writing, moving to fiction, a few novels as well. And in the last few years, been interested in in the topic of thought leadership. So I guess a little over a year ago, I decided, you know, there's a gap in the, in the market, especially for thought leadership. Like you have to be someone to become a thought leader. Like you have to be a, a big time CEO, a seniority or a PhD or a professor at Harvard or something like that. But what about the rest of the people? What a pro, like a marketing pro or a sales pro or just an entrepreneur, but wanting to become a thought leader, what's the steps? So I started working on that, and I came up with a with a framework called the Solo Thought Leadership Framework, and the steps to become a thought leader in in your niche, to become the go to expert in your niche. So that's part of what we can talk about today. You know, you have to build frameworks. You have to start lay the foundation for any thought leadership book.
1: Nice, that's that's like a perfect uh, overview. of What I want to get into. So basically, Diego knows what he's talking about. I think it's what we want to establish in the first few minutes that Diego is the go to guy for writing about thought leadership and also thinking about how to get over that hurdle of like writing and publishing a book, which for for most of us is a pretty daunting task. But for Diego's, it's apparently no sweat. So the other thing I want to address is just the problem. Like the when a lot of people publish business books, they are bad, right? So like business books, I would say get a bad rap, rightfully so, because they are not good. And the reason that they're not good, the big joke around it is that most business books Could have been a blog, right? Like could have been distilled into a blog. There's about that, you know, there's about 3,000 words that are really useful and then a lot of blah. And then you're just kind of mad that you spent hours reading a book, you know, that you could have gotten the same information from a five-minute blog, right? So I think like that's where we're at right now with business books. And and what I was trying to think about, again, like why that is, it's about, it ends up being like 80% propaganda, I would say, and then like 20% framework, right? And so when you have that kind of imbalance, then you're taking more than you're receiving, right? I'm giving you like 20% of like actionable frameworks. And then I'm going to sort of like push my service, whatever's in the background, like 80% of the time, like you can feel it like when this happens, right? And then when when I think of something like predictable revenue, like whether or not you know the listeners agree with that framework or agree that that's like a good model today i would say like listening to it recently i will say it's it's like closer to 80 percent framework it's a lot of steps a lot of like very actionable advice there's not a ton of fluff in there is there still salesforce propaganda in there sure definitely (laughs) but like for the most part like they're giving more than they're receiving it's very like action-packed and so, and so that's, I think, like a good place to just start off with. of Like, Diego, how do you think about that balance? Um, like, what's kind of like the goal for a business book uh, sure. or for a thought leadership book? Like, what should that balance be? What, what should people walk away with?
0: So there are a few things that we have to look at. So you mentioned that some books could have been a blog and the problem with that is that somebody had an idea and they said, oh, maybe I can write a book about this idea, but you shouldn't write books about ideas. You should write books about frameworks, and especially nonfiction, right? If you have an idea for a story, yeah, you can tell a story. It could be a novel or a short-form um, knowledge or stories. But if you're going to write a nonfiction book, a business book, I would recommend start with a framework. And a framework is a series of steps that someone has to go from A to B. So a problem and a solution. So you have to take the reader in a journey, you know, the current state to a desired state from, I don't know, from zero to 10 million in annual revenue, if you're writing for startup founders, for example, or how to, you know, go from how to create a marketing strategy or how to develop this sales system. So you have to explain, there have to be certain steps in your framework for people to follow. So it's different when you have just an idea, a cool idea that you write in a blog and when you have a framework and you just... Just explain it. You just go from A to C, explain that framework. So I guess it's it, you talk about the balance. So, I mean, we all need to have a purpose with our book, right? If sometimes, if you just want to do, oh, I'm just doing followership because I'm just evangelizing the problem, I may have a solution, but uh, people will ask for it, right? But there are other books that will say, oh, but this is what I sell. You can go buy it. And as you say, it's propaganda, right? You have to establish what is the goal that you have with your book. And I think for business owners, of course, you want to promote your company, tell your story, but if you sell the solution for the market, I think it's more credible than just say, Hey, buy this and a good example. So, you know, the, the guys at Sign, right? So they wrote the book on customer success and when Dan Steinman, who's one of the authors, he speaks a lot in public about this, he would talk about customer success. He wouldn't talk about Gainsight or their software or the solution, but he would just preach the problem and what to do. And people would ask him questions and then they would approach him or they would know he's from Gainsight and they would look at the solution. So it's a different approach. And it's not just an ad. It's not a just a 300-page ad. In book format, but it's actually content like, teaching you something valuable and then it gives you credibility, it gives the author of the company credibility because it's it's not just things like you see Challenger, they have the Challenger sale, they have well, the Challenger method. And I've been talking to people at companies who work in books like Ethan, at Bomb Bomb, a lot of people like they said, you know, this is like it's hard, it's a lot of, it's a huge investment. But giving away a book is more valuable than just giving away a free ebook or invitation to a webinar. And even salespeople are using those books just to establish authority and credibility. Like these guys are the go to expert inside. They've the guys who know about customer success because they wrote the book. So it just gets your, your marketing to another level.
1: Yeah, no. This so there's a lot of gold in there. So I want to like uh, make sure that I understood it. So one, like what I heard from you was you need to figure out what you want to be known for, right? So for Game Side, that was customer success. Like, we want to be the go-to leaders, right? Like the so, the solo thought leaders, right? On this, and then framework, right? Like you actually have to have something to teach, right? Like you, you can't just say we love customer success, right? Like that's not a book. You have to have Hey, like we and backing up a little bit, I think there's a the middle step of the problem, right? So there's this, there's the old way, there's a, the problem in the market, and there's always whether or not you think you have a framework or you think you have a point of view, you do because you created a software, you know, for a reason, right? Or you uh, created this framework for a reason, right? And so you, if you you know talk to your founders or founder and ask them about their story, they'll have a story, and it's usually. Hey, I worked in this industry. I saw this problem. It was really frustrating, and so then I I created a a better solution, right? And so they'll have the problem. You have like this problem set up. You could go into the data. You can look at a macro scale, micro scale, which is that story level they personally saw it. And so you feel that you feel that problem, and then you go into that. Okay, so I started working on like my own solution, and it might have been on a on a small scale at first, right? With they worked on the solution as, you know, the head of customer success or maybe just the customer success manager, you know, start putting together like a new way of doing things. And then they evolved that, you know, into a more like systematic, automatic, like approach with software. Right. And so taking people on basically the same journey that you went through. Right. And so if, when you were talking, I was like, I know there's going to be feedback of people saying, you know, I don't have a point of view. I don't have a framework. Right. Like, I don't think in system, but almost everybody has at least something that they do consistently well. Right. So if you start with like, what is the thing that you do consistently well? And what framework, like, did you use to get that consistency? Because if you think about like diet books, which follow that same format of a business book, like, here's a step by step process that you can use to, to lose weight. Right. If we simplify it to that, that was the thing that got the person consistent, right? Like it's not that everybody knows that you need to eat less food, right? And exercise more. <laughs> that's, you know, the, the basic principle, but it's like, you no, know, what's the step by step like framework so that I can do this every day, be consistent. And that's usually the difference is like being able to do something well one day versus doing something well as a process, like doing customer success. Well, isn't just nailing the onboarding session, right? It's not like the first day, nailed the onboarding, no worse customer success needed. It's like, how do we keep this up so we can consistently retain customers? And so that's what what I got from it was, you know, figure out what you want to be known for, identify the problem, and then presents the new way as a framework. And I know you specifically have developed a a framework for frameworks, (laughs) if I will, a framework for thought leadership framework They'll let you go into that, but anything that I missed kind of in that
0: recap. I think you got it right. Everything that you said is good because as every thought leader would say or category designer would test, is that you have to start with a problem and then you have the old solution and then the new solution. And you come right from the side saying, wait, you think you're looking for this solution, but this one's better and this is why. And this is the frame where I have to explain why this solution is better.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because... You probably started out with the old way too, right? So there's like an emotional attachment, especially if it's the person who experienced the pain that is the thought leader, right? Or that is the expert. It's like, look, I know what you're doing. I know the way that you're doing it. I was doing it that same way. And now like I've, I've been iterating on it, you know, and here's my like superior kind of framework, right? So I think the framework method you came up with is frame, correct me if I'm wrong. But you want to kind of walk people through like the different steps of frame and how that helps you develop your point of view and put together that leadership.
0: So frame is, uh, stands for find, research, analyze, map and explain. So first you go with the F, find, find. What's the idea? I'm going to develop into a framework. So of all the topics, maybe your company or you as a marketer or as a salesperson you work with, okay, this is the idea. So now I'm going to do some research. What's out there? What are people talking about? Maybe you have to read some book. Maybe you have to interview some people and talk about it. So what are people already talking about? What are the existing frameworks for this topic or for this idea? And then you're going to analyze that. You're going to say, okay, what's working? What's not working? And you're going to give it your own angle. What can you do different? From your experience, what can you add? And you maybe take notes and you say, okay, maybe this works, maybe this doesn't. And then you start mapping out, that's the M, you start mapping out graphically, maybe on a board, a mirror, or pen on paper, and you start drawing, okay, these are the steps. This is how you go from A to B. This is how you go across this mountain, that's the problem, to get to the other side. And then you explain the E. You. Just write it down step by step. And the, the good thing, and the best thing about reading a book, about your framework, is that it forces you to think through how to explain this in a way that makes sense. Because sometimes people will have these great ideas and they're all scattered all over the place like, oh, I have nine months worth of podcast episodes by my framework. Well, who's going to listen to that, right? But if you have it in your book, okay, here's how, how you go step by step. And, and you do it. So for instance, I found this idea of thought leadership. So now I'm writing thought leadership or thought leadership, but I found this idea of, okay, this is what I want to write about. And I read the books, I did the research, and then I analyzed. And what I found is, what I mentioned before is, you have to be someone to become a thought leader. Here a gap. So I started from my own experience and from my research and interviewing other people. The practitioners of thought leadership, I came up with a new framework. I put it in, in, in a way that's understandable. And then I wrote it down and explained it in my book. And it's seven steps, you know, from solopreneur to go to expert in seven steps. That's the, that's the title of the book. So you have to find, you have to research, you have to analyze, you have to map it out and then you have to explain it. And the things that the questions that you ask, you know, it's what's an old way that people are doing things? that they need to have a mindset shift to a new way of solving their problems. What are the mistakes that people are making that are perpetuating their problems and not allowing them to find a solution? Or what are the steps that people need to follow to actually get the place where they want to be? Maybe it's something that you've already done. So if it's something that you've already done, then just reverse engineer. Okay, this is what I did to get my company to X a million in revenue. And I just go back, what needed to happen before? What did I do before? What did I do before? Then you have your framework. So if it is something you already do, already did, then you explain it. If it's already uh, something, maybe it's a process. Maybe you want to explain how do you launch um, a sales campaign or marketing campaign, you want to explain that. So, okay, I do this every month or I do this every quarter. So just take notes of what you do. And then write it out, and that's your framework. But maybe it's something like I did. It's something that's not something that you do already, but you want to create something. So that's when you go and do all this research. I say, okay, where are the gaps? What's a different future? And I think sometimes what followers do is they have to question everything. And I'll give you an example. You take a best practice or a dogma in your industry, and you ask, in what? cases or what scenarios, this would not be true. And let's say one of the dogmas we have in sales and marketing is you have to be customer-centric. And I asked myself once, is there a moment or is there a, is there a case when I shouldn't be customer-centric? And then I start thinking about, you know, category creation. What if you're coming up with something new that people don't know exists? You're trying to solve a problem that people don't know they have. Well, if you're customer-centric, you will never go that route because they don't know it exists. You have to educate them about oh, this new problem that they don't know they have, but it's going to make their lives better or their businesses better. In that case, you have to be mission-centric. You have a mission as a category of desires, and follower, to change the industry, to change certain practices. So in that case, you shouldn't be customer-centric. It should be more mission-centric. So those are ways to come up with, with new ideas, frameworks. It's just trying to question everything and looking at what works and what doesn't work and new solutions for the problems that your customers have.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think that's yeah, great. So there's like two two things that I want to touch on. You mentioned uh podcast. So you do that's like a, a hot term right now. A lot of people do podcasts, a lot of people posting on social, right? And so so I do want to get into later, like, you know, how do you take Things that people are already doing and back that into a book, right? And make it a little bit like more manageable. Cause again, like you probably have written out pieces of the framework, right? So you, it's easier to start from something than to start from scratch. So, so there's that piece of it. And then the other thing before I forget is at the end there. Yeah. When you're talking about the, the example of customer centric. And I think that that bleeds into what we're talking about here with thought leadership is it reminds me of. Uh, with Steve Jobs, um, this is kind of like his point of view is that the customer doesn't always know what's best or doesn't always know what they want. And you sometimes find that for, you know, with research, with customer research, of can't always like define exactly what they want. They just sometimes know that they want it to be different, right? And so you do need to like, you know, keep going back to the customer and making sure it's, you know, it's something, something usable. But there is a point like where you have to make a decision, Right. You have to like make a decision, even though because you won't have enough data, you won't, you'll never have as much data as you want. Right. So at some point you need to make a decision. Right. And that's kind of like the, the mission centric. And then, oh, the last thing that, that uh, I forgot was the analyze like step really stood out to me. Right. So it, it analyzed like as you we were talking through it, I was like, oh, that's that's market research. Right. It's like market research 101. So I think I think we've covered book strategy pretty well in that if you think about it as a product right? Like you think about it as kind of like launching a product and you take it as seriously as you would, you know, a new feature launch, product launch, then yeah, you're going to take a look at the market. You're going to look for the gaps. As you mentioned, you're going to look and see like what doesn't sit well with you. Like you mentioned with customer centric, right? You're going to add like a scientist, like poke holes at the thing. And then you're going to carve out your niche that way because you'll see that there's, there's a gap in the market. You'll find like your niche And maybe you start, you start writing about it, see how that's resonating with people on LinkedIn, on Twitter, through a podcast, right? And then you can kind of like start stitching things together and see that there's like a bigger, bigger story to tell. So I thought the podcast mentioned was a good segue into the the next section of how can people who are already publishing online or publishing through a podcast or in some ways disseminating like their point of view into the market. How can you use that as momentum to create a
0: business? So about a few years ago, I think it was around 2018, I like to illustrate that I wrote a book in two weeks, wrote, published a book in two weeks. And this is because it was about a topic that I was already writing and speaking about. So I decided, okay, this is something I want to publish a book. About because I want to establish myself as an expert in this area. I was doing life coaching at the time, and I had already written a lot of blogs. I had done a lot of uh, you know recordings and I had a lot of talks. So what I did is I wrote a table of contents. Okay, these are the steps. These are the con- the, the topics. These are the chapters. And then I went to my archives and just opened like a Evernote, created a notebook and a note for each chapter, and just. All the, all the Facebook posts, all the articles, and paste them in uh, notes for each topic or for each chapter. So by the time I was done picking everything on the transcripts of my talks, I already had like 70% of the book done. All I had to do was go back in, fix it, make it a uh, read, and then fill in the gaps. So if I had some gaps, I would write that. Other than that, I already had some. And so you probably have a lot of content about, you know, whatever topic you are, about your framework. So it's getting everything together, organizing it in, into chapters, and then making it, you know, into one continuous narrative that makes sense and explains everything. And if you don't, if you're just starting out, maybe what I say is don't start by writing a book. Write blog posts, write, write LinkedIn posts see what resonates. So you just test your ideas with with the audience and you will find out if people say, yes, we agree, or they'll give you feedback and you refine your ideas. And when you get all those all that feedback from your audience on social media, then you can expand those into articles. And then that's going to make you think about that topic a little bit more deeper. You expand on it. You also get feedback from it. And once you think you're ready, turn that blog post into a book chapter. So you start with a LinkedIn post to a blog post to a book chapter. Or a newsletter. So what I do, for instance, I have a weekly newsletter, and sometimes I know, okay, I'm running this book. I'm gonna write a, a newsletter issue about this, and then I'm gonna post about it on LinkedIn and get feedback from people like that. People I say, hey, what do you think about this? And I get some feedback and that's eventually going to end up in my new book so that's how you build in public you get this feedback loop constantly where you're refining your ideas with your audience and that's the great thing because by the end of the day you know if your book is going to resonate with people or not because you've already been testing your ideas and the people who have given you feedback they know what you're working on they know what you're talking about your framework and when your book comes out they're going to say okay i'm going to buy it or you're going to promote it because i know that your ideas are good so it's part of just building public doing marketing before you actually launch the the product and also creating new followership
1: yeah no that's so good so to kind of break that down even further like with that example and i'll kind of just use what you do as the example as the uh gold standard of what kind of what you should do, right? So you mentioned build in public. So, you know, you're you're constantly posting on LinkedIn, right? And posting your ideas and getting that feedback loop, right? But then you also have what I would call like the forcing function of blog and newsletter, right? And so I don't know, you know, your exact cadence for it, but let's say weekly, right? Like weekly for a newsletter is typically what people do. And kind of what that forces you to do is you'll have bits and pieces maybe in these posts that you can, again, like stitch together, see what the the theme is and what the eventual chapter might be, right? Put that in the newsletter, put that in the blog. See, again, once again, like see how it's received. Like I know you you publish on Medium. And so that's something that you can get direct feedback from. Same with the newsletter. People can reply to newsletters. So again, you're still getting that that feedback loop, but you have the forcing function to kind of standardize your content, right? And kind of like find the through points, find the themes, essentially to start building into chapters, right? And so then when you get to that point where you you know maybe you're guesting on podcasts too, and you're starting to share the same types of things, you notice that people are bringing you on to talk about the same types of things, right? So just getting all this validation for the market, and then as you mentioned. A bonus, like a bonus for doing all this is that you're basically promoting as you go. You know, you're, build, you're building an audience before you have a product to sell. Um, it's kind of the product example of going back to thinking about content as product. And so, you know, you're starting small. It's, it feels manageable. You're just kind of throwing throwing ideas into the world, right? But then you have forcing functions to think about, start thinking about it as a framework and start going, you know, deeper into the examples and uh, your expertise. And then by the time that you, you go to, to publish a book, hopefully it's 70% done and you're, it's just a matter of like collecting and pulling, pulling things together and filling in the blanks. So yeah, I love like uh, thinking about it that way and the outline process of that being really like the thing that ties it all together that like connects all of these pieces. So and anything in there though, that, uh, that I missed or any additional benefits from, from building in public?
0: Well, you can also get. One additional benefit is that, you know, I read once that there was this newspaper in a small town that its circulation readership was 110%. And you say, how is that possible? And that even people from outside the town would come and buy the newspaper. And the secret was according to the story that the editor of the newspaper would tell the journalists, I want names, 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 as, as many names as you can into the articles. So they would quote people from all over the town, like the hairdresser, the, the guy from the diner, everyone. So everybody would buy the newspaper because they want to see their names in print. So the great thing also about, you know, interviewing experts, interviewing people in the industry and quoting them in your book is that you get them to promote it. What I've done also is that when people give me feedback on a LinkedIn post, I sometimes include their comments in the book. Or in my articles, and I tell them, and they're ecstatic. And I say, "Hey, thank you. You give me some feedback. I've included that feedback, and I like your comment. Can I use it in my book?" They say, "Yeah, of course." So you're using your audience's voice in your book, and that's gonna just amplify your message in a way that it goes against you know the the myth of the writer in the cabin in the woods writing by himself or herself. Just isolated from the world and uh, receiving inspiration from the muse, it's it's totally different when you do it in public.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really great benefit. Yeah, I, I mean I've seen that like time and time again. The first thing I thought of was that uh, I interviewed um, John from DataBox, and that's basically like how they kind of like got their blog off the ground. Originally, it was kind of like crowdsourcing from experts and including tons of expert quote like in every blog and that kind also of also drove the promotion like uh, of the blog. And so it was this nice sort of flywheel effect. Uh, and then the other part of this is you mentioned like newspapers, as we're talking about kind of serial content and bite-sized content evolving into something else. Before this episode, I was looking into books that started out as serial newspaper columns, right? So it's like Count of Monte Cristo. War and peace, crime and punishment, like all of those, like started out as like serials, they called it at the time, right? And so when I hear about, you know, people writing books and people asking them about about the process, and when you hear about, you know, Stephen King's writers, I write every day. That's, that's his answer, right? And so, so that really is like the, the unlock is the consistency, right? Doing it every day. And now we're coming full circle of (laughs) you're developing a framework. That shares how you're consistent in one part of your life, right? To do something really well. But then applying that thing type of framework, right? To book writing, essentially, right? Of uh, just being consistent, t- taking the things that you already know, taking the time, patience to, to outline it, to plug and play. And then it, you know, it's the 30% rather than like the, the 100% because you're already 70% of the way there. Okay. So, so we got into like so, so much of the strategies. So I'll start getting nitty gritty about like how, how to actually get this done. So the logistics of writing a thought leadership business. So one thing that, that I didn't totally ask yet was timing. So when is like the right time to launch something like this? Like, do you need some other things in place for your business to start to think about having this as a dimension of your content strategy?
0: So that's the question of the chicken and the egg, right? So what, what comes first? And I think you can do it both ways. You can have a business and then you write a book and to help you promote the business. Or you can write a book and build a business from the ideas on your book. And I would say you can do it both ways. Like, I started writing a book. Like, when I, I wrote the, the Soul of the Year book, I didn't have a business. I was just uh, working in in content marketing. And I decided to write this. And then because of the book, I get invited into podcasts. I get to do consulting. I, people ask me to come and speak, right? So eventually I started, you know, consulting, doing content, doing ownership for other people. And it all came out of the book, of writing the book first. So I think you can go both ways, but it shouldn't stop you from doing it. I mean, you just have to focus. Uh, you mentioned, you know, you're already writing every day. Many of our listeners should, be, they're also writing every day. It's just, okay, just decide, be consistent and be intentional in what are you going to write about? And I'm going to write about these topics, which are going to eventually turn into a book. I'm not just going to write about random stuff every day or whatever comes to mind. Just being intentional. And as going back to what we talked about, what is your goal? What do you want the book to do for you or your business? And I was talking to um, a guy named James Church. He's mm-hmm. in from England. And he uses his book as a lead generation asset. And he figured out that he can get a client. And this is a high ticket client. For every 70 copies of, his book, of, the, of the book that he keeps away, he gets one client. And he says, "It's by BDR." So he doesn't have salespeople. he just has his book. He gives it away. and the book is selling for him. So he's getting clients just by giving his book away, because people read it and they say, "Oh, this is what you do. I want you to help me do this." So he helps entrepreneurs get uh, B.C. funding, and he has a framework for, you know, getting funded uh, by BCs. And that's what the book is about. And that's what his company is about. So it's finding out, okay, this is what I want. So have that in place, a goal where you want the book to do for you. And then just focus and and write it. And if you already have your business, then, okay, how is how can I use the book to build and grow my business even further and establish you as the God whisper in the industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, that it, it makes perfect sense with just the premise of content marketing in general, right? Like most content marketers listening to this will believe that if you help people like that, it will help you like eventually, right? Like you don't exactly know how, but you know that when you help people, when you help them be better at their job, like applying this to, to B2B content marketing, that even though it may kind of like go against like a... Uh, what you think is correct of, hey, if I give away this stuff, they're not going to pay for it, right? Like I just gave away my expertise. Like, why are they going to come to me as a consultant? But always the opposite happens because typically when you write down the entire process for something from start to finish and you find out that you have a a book worth of information there and somebody takes the time to either read the book or start reading the book and they find, oh, there's a lot that goes into this, right? Like this seems like a lot of work. I'm just either going to hire you, the consultant, the expert to help me with it. You seem like you know what you're doing, right? It's either going to have that effect or like, you know, there's still going to be some people that are going to try and do it themselves, right? And they'll be successful and that's fine as well. And then there's going to be this other group that if you're selling, you know, software, you know, an easier way to do something, a framework of some sort, they're going to go and buy that shortcut way that you've already put together for them, right? And so... There's always going to be, you know, people that do not buy, right? That that buy the book or or you know read your blog, but but never buy anything, and that's fine too. And so knowing that like that's how it works when you give, you get. I think it's just like a good principle. This this is basically just content marketing, but on on a larger scale. So I like the Legion example, and I've heard that same thing now with courses from a few different friends, right? Is they went into it, you know, thinking they they'd make us some them change you know on this these courses that they're putting together and they did but they were like really like the the real benefit was that then i got this really good client out of it right like a few people yeah a few people bought the courses but then a few of them like turned into really good clients for them right and so so they saw that most return there even though they weren't doing it for that reason so it's almost always when you do it for the right reasons and you are just trying to educate right, and you're just very thorough about it, and to take the time to write an entire entire book, being that thorough about it, it's probably going to to come back around to you
0: yeah, and, and something that I would add, just I'll piggybacking on what you're saying is you need to have you know in place your other parts besides the book. So if someone reads the book and uh, it's do it yourself, just apply what's in the book. But if someone wants help, Then you have the product. You have either the, I'll do it with you or I do it for you, parts of the equation. And I call this the book ecosystem. Actually, my new book is about a book ecosystem. So how do you use a book to build your business? You start with a book, but then you have lead generation assets. You have low-cost products like online courses or digital products. You have your main offering, which is what your business offers. And then you have upsells on top of that. Membership services, add-ons, stuff like that, or pranks for customers. So you build a whole ecosystem and the book is at the center of it because it also pre-qualifies people, pre-qualifies your clients because they're really, they know what you're about, they know what you offer. They're more inclined to stay with you and sign the contract. Yeah. And the other thing is that it actually separates you, you know, content markers. Hey, we give away content all the time. We write these articles, but the thing is, if you if you hear podcasts, if you listen to podcasts, most of the time they will start like, "My guest today is such and such, and he's the author of this book." You never hear, "My guest today is the author of this blog post." It puts you on a different level of expertise and credibility.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Is there's there's still a uh, level of prestige around? Around a book, right? And one thing that we didn't, we didn't talk about so much, but that you, you mentioned, mentioned kind of is, you know, a, a blog post or even an ebook you mentioned just has a different feel than a book, right? And in part because a, like a physical copy of something, even if it's like somewhere in between like a Kindle book, right? Where it's not quite like a physical copy, but it just feels more substantial than a PDF. Right. Like it, it just feels like more like that there's something there than than there would for a blog post. Um, in part just because there's less of them, right? There's less books probably than there are and there are blog posts in the world, right? But also thinking about in the strategy of distribution, whether or not a hard copy makes sense, because there is something about just feeling and seeing something and like seeing how many pages there are. And there's a reason that, you know, marketers mock up a little, a little book like in their ebook pages, right. To make it feel substantial. So any thoughts on, on that? Cause I think this is getting into the distribution part of it, right? Like how, how to launch a book, promote the book and whether or not you should actually print hard copies of it.
0: I think so. I also came (laughs) up, I love frameworks. So I also have a, a framework for I call it the four by three self publishing method for publishing a book, but um talking about distribution, I think you should have it in as many formats as, as you want. I did a a survey once on LinkedIn. What format did people prefer ebooks, print copy, audiobooks, etc. The people are all, all over the place like there's some people who say, "Oh, I love smelling and touching a physical book Other people say, "Oh no, I just like ebooks." on my Kindle. They're too practical. I don't have to turn pages. They're always there. I can carry them with me. A lot of people say, oh, I don't like to read, but I love to listen to audiobooks. So I think you should always have it in every single format available just out there. You know, ebook is the easiest, right? We just write it and then we convert it to, to PDF and okay, here we go. But you reach more people and a larger audience when you do it in in, in these different formats. And it takes more time. An audiobook, for example, is more expensive to create, but I think it's worth it, especially if you want to amplify your ideas and you want your ideas to be cemented out there and in public. You have to release them in different formats. And in terms of you know releasing and launching a book, there are many strategies. But I would say what you need to do is you have to create as I said, build it public and create you and have your street team, which is a bunch of readers who will read your book before it, it releases and will commit to promote it, to give you reviews, to post Amazon reviews when the book comes out and to post about it and just make a lot of noise. You just create buzz around the book before it launches. Make a lot of noise about the book, publish about it, a lot about it. And you know, and because it's thought leadership and you want to be a bit, you want to take a stand, maybe a bit controversial, not just for the sake of controversy, but because you're taking a stand. Because when you take a stand, people know whether they want to follow you or not. And that's important. And I say, I like to say that just regular content creators would say, oh, here are the pros and the cons of this. The thought leader would say, this is what I think. It's not pros and cons. This is what I think. You should do this, not that. And that lets people decide whether they agree or not, whether they're going to be your followers or not. And that's a good thing because you don't want to just attract people. You want to repel those who don't resonate with your message because you have a stand, you have a position. That's what makes followership interesting. It's, you know, something, this is what I think the future should be. This is what the best solution should be. This is the new way of doing things. And you pick an enemy, which is the the old way of doing things, right? So create that, get incentives for people to buy the book. Like when I launched my book back in March, I had some recordings, video recordings of the people who were interviewed for the book. And I said, if you buy the book on lunch day, you get VIP access. You send me the receipt of the book when you bought it, and I'll send you a link to all these videos, like three hour uh, worth of interviews. So he's giving people incentives, incentives to to buy. And I mean, there's a lot of things we can talk about marketing, but the most important thing about you know launching a book is creating your team, having a team of people who will help you promote and launch. You have all these pre-release reviews as well.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a really nice wrap up. Like I had a couple other small things, but I'd rather just uh, just wrap it up on that because I think that was a good mic drop. Man is like the thing that applied to me or that I was thinking about was a motto lately has been like stop hedging right so I think that's that's essentially like what what you're saying right take a stand like stop hedging and whether that's like you're hedging on writing a book because it's easier to, to post it's easier to do the blog post right and you just never get to the big thing or you're hedging on your point of view of something because you don't feel confident enough in it like you can you know, go back to the framework and do the research and analyze and basically double check some of your thinking. And that'll either like reinforce your thoughts on something or they like redefine how you think about something. And you know, the more knowledge that you have on something, like the more you evolve. Like we're not we're not finite people. So I think when I realized like, oh, I can evolve, I can change my mind on things, right? Like it could vary slightly. But if you've done the research and you've analyzed and you've kind of like carved out that place that you really have an opinion on and that you feel like you can talk about for a few hundred pages then then it's just about not getting your way and and not hedging so that's the main thing that i feel like i've uh, i've learned from you and learned from the way that you go about content marketing and go go about publishing but last thing i like to end on is uh what advice would you give someone who's either hedging or hedging but they don't realize that they're hedging or just doesn't feel like they could ever be someone who publishes a book. I would say
0: just do it. Just go for it. I mean, there's there's nothing to lose if you just start writing a book. I think we're just stuck in our mind. And I would tell people, I wrote my first book when I was 15, and I was clueless. So if a clueless 15-year-old could do it, I mean, you probably can. I'm pretty sure you can. It's just getting out of your mind and thinking it's very difficult. And just, you, it's, things are not difficult. You just need a system to just find what works for you. I have, you know, I have articles. I have a, an online course where I help people write their books. But I just say, do whatever works for you. Do you like to write blog posts or social media posts? Start doing that. Or just, if you do a podcast, just interview people for your podcast that are going to be the basis for your book, then use the transcripts, right? There's so many ways of accomplishing, of getting to that goal. Just try what works for you and do what you enjoy. And one day without you expecting it, you find out you have 70, 80% of the book already done.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So where, where can people, one, find you and then two, find your books about books?
0: All right. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm there every day. And you can also, if you want help with books, it's diegoviedo.ca. I have some resources there. I also have a tall leadership dot marketing where I'm posting about marketing ideas, tall leadership frameworks, and also on Medium. Yes. Yeah, so look, look me up and
1: there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. And you're just reinforcing like how uh, prolific I almost forgot like how prolific you are as a writer and as a content marketer. So thank you, Diego. I always learn a ton from you and talk soon. Thank you, Camille. Thanks for listening to content logistics. This episode is produced by motion, a done for you B2B podcasting agency for busy marketers. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.